Hey, I'm Michaela Lefrac, co-host of Vermont Edition. I wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Thanks for listening. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lefrac. Many towns in Vermont don't operate their own public schools. They're too small and rural for it to make sense. Instead, kids in those towns can go to other public schools, or the state helps pay for them to go to a private school. Now, this school choice policy dates all the way back to the 1860s. But this year, it could change. Bills in Vermont's House and Senate would curtail the list of private schools a kid could go to, making it much more likely they would end up in a public school. The bills are a direct response to a U.S. Supreme Court ruling from last year. It said that states that pay tuition to private schools also have to pay tuition to religious schools. Right now, that's not the case in Vermont. Many Vermonters don't think public dollars should fund religious education. Today on the show, we are diving into these questions around school choice. We'll speak with Representative Edie Granning of Jericho, the sponsor of one of those House bills I just mentioned. We'll also hear from the president of the Vermont School Board Association and from the heads of private schools that would be affected. But first, to help us understand this complex legal landscape surrounding the issue, we're joined by Peter Teachout. He's a constitutional law professor at Vermont Law and Graduate School. Peter, welcome. Hi, Michaela. Glad to be here. So, Peter, let's start with this Supreme Court decision from last June, Carson versus Macon, because a lot of this discussion hinges on that decision, um, which dealt with Maine's school choice system. So what happened in that case? Okay, well, let me see if I can explain that case and why it has implications for Vermont's approach to providing tuition reimbursement to parents who send their kids to private schools. So Maine, like Vermont, is a predominantly rural state. About half of the school districts in Maine do not have public secondary schools of their own. So Maine law basically provided those school districts with two options. One was to designate a public school in another district or a private school as the public school of the district. But if districts didn't want to pursue that option, Maine law required those districts to reimburse tuition to parents in Maine who sent their kids either to other public schools or to other private schools that had been approved by the Department of Education in Maine. Most of the districts, if not all of them, pursued that second option. So under that option, parents in Maine had from school districts without public schools of their own, had a broad menu of private schools to choose from, both in-state and out-of-state. The schools had to be approved, but other than that, there was only one restriction on eligibility for tuition reimbursement from the state. And that restriction was only schools that had what we call secular curriculums were eligible. Mm, so you couldn't send private your kid school. to a, a private Catholic school in Maine, but you could send them to to a different private school that was was um, secular. Well, it's a little bit more complex because actually Maine law allowed parents to send their kids to a private Catholic school 
so long as the curriculum at that school was a secular curriculum. You couldn't get tuition reimbursement, however, from sending your kids to a school where religious instruction formed a core element of the educational experience. So that was the limitation. So how does the case arise? A couple of parents wanted to send their kids to schools where the curriculum was religious. Uh, and 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 they sued and and that sent that went all the way to the supreme court is that right and the supreme court said what so so the parents requested tuition reimbursement and they were denied by the state of maine so they sued and said the fact that maine is excluding us from participation in the tuition reimbursement program discriminates us on the basis of our religious belief. Mm. And the Supreme Court, when it handed down its decision last June, agreed with the parents. And the court summarized its holding in a single sentence. It said, a state need not subsidize private education. But once a state decides to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. Ah, so then here in Vermont, that's caused quite a stir because um, we have some rules that are similar to what was going on in Maine before this ruling, right? Well, you're absolutely right. The Maine, by the way, the three justices on the court dissented from that ruling. They thought that that requiring the state to pay for religious instruction and education violated the fundamental principle of separation of church and state. But you're absolutely right. That main case threw a monkey wrench into the system Vermont currently employs for providing tuition reimbursement to parents in those school districts that don't have public schools of their own who want to send their kids to private schools. Mm. Now, there's a key difference in Vermont, however, which is that unlike Maine, Vermont has a constitutional provision, a state constitutional provision that prohibits the state from providing taxpayer-supported funding to support religious worship or religious instruction or religious education. Hmm. And that provision is called Article 3 of Chapter 1. It's the Religious Freedom Article in the Vermont Constitution. Hmm. But how does a provision in a state constitution hold up against a Supreme Court ruling? Well, they aren't necessarily in conflict. You remember the Supreme Court said a state doesn't have to subsidize private education, but if it does, there are some constitutional limits on being able to exclude schools solely because they are religious. So let me, I think it's really important to understand that this provision in the state constitution is not one of secondary importance. It is a key pillar in the state constitution. And basically, it provides that if religious freedom means anything in Vermont, it means that you and I cannot be compelled to support with our tax dollars the propagation of religious views with which we disagree, indeed, with which we might find fundamentally offensive. So, so, so basically, Michaela, it puts the legislature in Vermont in an awkward bind. On the one hand, 
if the state were to continue with the current system, making school choice broadly available, it can't exclude religious schools anymore without violating the main case. On the other hand, the state cannot adopt legislation that makes tuition reimbursement available to parents who want to send their kids to schools where the propagation of religious doctrine forms a central part of the curriculum. Mm. So that's the bind in which the court's decision seemingly puts the legislatures, but it's important to real to, to and, and I'll probably stop here just to just to understand that that is based to a certain extent on a misunderstanding of what the court said in the main case. What the court said, and I will read it again, a state need not subsidize private education, but once a state decides to do so, it can't disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. Now, that has been interpreted wrongly to say that once you start to allow private schools to participate in providing public education, then you have to include religious schools in the mix. All it says is if you decide to include private schools and make some private schools eligible for tuition reimbursement, you can't exclude some, and here's the language, solely because they are religious. So what that means is that you can draw all sorts of lines about which private schools are eligible for tuition reimbursement and which are not, you just can't make one of those lines the fact that the school receiving tuition reimbursement mm. is a religious school. Now, Peter, um, some lawmakers are are proposing um, a, a type of solution to this quandary. They say we should pay public tuition only to traditional public schools. Can you tell us a little bit more about that option? Okay, so the tuition reimbursement legislation that is right now before the legislature does try to avoid constitutional problems. And it also, I think, reflects a feeling that we really ought to step back and take a look at what we're doing with providing tuition reimbursement to private schools. So what this legislation does in a nutshell is it says students from districts without schools of their own can get tuition reimbursement for sending kids to another public school in Vermont, can get tuition reimbursement for sending their kids to a public school in another state, and also to a limited number of private schools. And then it says the only private schools that will be eligible for tuition reimbursement are those that meet three out of four criteria. We won't go into those, but in bottom line, those application of that standard means that only four private schools would be eligible for tuition reimbursement under this law. And those are St. Johnsbury Academy, Linden Institute, Thetford Academy, and Burr and Burton. These are schools that have traditionally served as the public school quotation for the districts in which they're located. They're sort of the classic historic examples of private schools that have performed this public function. Hmm. So that's what the law does. And the question is, well, does that violate either of those constitutional constraints that I've talked about? And the answer simply is no. It doesn't exclude some private schools 
solely because they are religious. It, religion has nothing to do with the application of those criteria. And it doesn't require the state to fund schools where religious worship and instruction form a core element hmm. of the curriculum. So given those constraints, the state really has considerable leeway in deciding the criteria it wants to employ. Those are just the criteria that the current form of the legislation employs. Hmm. Now, Peter, in the early 2000s, you were the chair of the board of Sharon Academy, which is an independent private school where more than 80 percent of current students use school choice vouchers in order to attend. Um, Do you think that there is a way to um, preserve funding for schools like Sharon Academy that that really rely on it um, while also addressing some of the concerns that are being raised by the this Supreme Court ruling? Well, I would hate to come out and say I'd like to have some rule developed that would give Sharon Academy special treatment. But the general answer is the state has considerable flexibility in, discern, in deciding what criteria it wants to employ in deciding which schools are eligible for tuition reimbursement and which are not. So I, what I'd like to see in the legislature is a lot of discussion about whether the criteria in the current legislation are the best ones, the appropriate ones, or whether there's another way to draw the lines that would include maybe a slightly broader group of private schools within the sphere of eligibility for tuition support. So it can be done. I'm going to just, just to tell you how much latitude the state has. In one case, the court actually upheld a New Orleans law that in so many terms grandfathered in a pushcart vendor and allowed that pushcart vendor to continue to have a license within New Orleans while eliminating all the others. So Vermont could even, if it wanted to by name, identify the private schools that it thought were eligible for tuition support, but I think it would be better if they did so according to some set of criteria that have something to do with educational performance and quality. Mm. Well, Peter Teachout, constitutional law professor at Vermont Law and Graduate School, thanks so much for your time today and, and explaining these complex legal issues to us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. We've received a number of emails ahead of today's show. Um, Herbert, a lawyer in Mount Tabor, points out a potential uh, concern for folks in his area. He's in the Taconic and Green Regional School District, which serves nine towns in the Manchester area. And Herbert writes, if it had to stop paying tuition to the local non-public high schools attended by over 90% of our students, our high school students would have to be divvied up among neighboring public schools and spend much more time on buses. We also received an email from BHA who writes, public funds should not be used for private or religious schools. Public funds should not be spent on religious indoctrination. If public funds are spent on these schools, they should be required to enroll all applicants as public schools must. No picking and choosing so they don't have students with expensive special needs, ESL, learning disabilities, etc. Here to talk us through some of these changes is Representative Edie Granning of Jericho. She's one of the primary sponsors of H258. It's a bill that would change which schools could receive public tuition dollars for kids who live in so-called sending towns. 
We're also joined by Neil O'Dell, the president of the Vermont School Board Association and a longtime member of the Norwich and Dresden School Boards in the Upper Valley. Neil, welcome. Thank you. Representative Granning, uh, let's start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about this bill and how it would change Vermont's current school choice system? Sure. And first, I just want to thank you so much for having me um, and diving into this complicated topic, because this is not simple. Yes, uh, we are. We are certainly learning so that the, through all of the, the emails and phone calls that we've gotten. Um, it is definitely a cause of concern for many, many Vermonters right now. So so tell us about this bill and the changes you're proposing. Sure. So um, H-28258 is a companion bill to... Um, S66, which is um, Ruth Hart, so partnering with Ruth Hardy um, in the Senate. We're working to ensure that taxpayer money is used to fund high quality, equitable, and non discriminatory education for all of Vermont students. Uh, the bill will also ensure that there's transparency and accountability in the manner that the education fund is spent. Now, along with schools, that serve students with disabilities. There are four historic academies that would continue to re- receive funding um, under this bill. What what are those schools and how are they decided upon? Yeah, so the criteria for the schools um, is pretty clear. They have to meet three of four following criteria. Um, if the um, recognized independent school currently serves as a regional tech center, CTE center. Um, If the school was established through granting of a charter by the Vermont General Assembly, uh, if the school qualified as a public school under the definition of public school in in June 30th of 1991, um, or if the school, or and or I guess three of the four, if the school is an employer of teachers within the meaning of teachers Um, retirement system in Vermont right now. And I think both schools were mentioned earlier today, um, St. John's Bray Academy, Burton, Bedford, and Linden Institute. Now, Neil, um, first, as as president of the Vermont School Board Association, who who do you represent? Uh, We represent our members. So our members are school boards uh, all across the state of Vermont. And you have voiced your support for the changes that are being proposed in the House and Senate bills. Why? Uh, We have, and that was primarily the result of a a resolution that was passed at our annual meeting. So every year, the Vermont School Boards Association membership gets together. Um, We debate and entertain uh, differing resolutions. And so our position on 258 and uh, and S66 are the result of a a past resolution by our membership. Hmm. Well, let's go to the phone lines here. We're getting a lot of calls uh, from folks across the state. We'll start with Pam in Callis. Pam, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. How are you? I think part of this conversation, and I guess I had a question about the bill, whether or not it addresses those kids with disabilities that who are not being served within the public school system and need a private school um, to go to just to be able to deal with their disability, which was my experience when my kid was younger. Um, And I tried to get tuition reimbursement, never got it, sued, never got, um, I lost the suit, couldn't take it to the Supreme Court because I was 
couldn't, you know, afford a lawyer because I was busy paying tuition. So mm. just curious whether that's being addressed. And, you know, personally, I'm not cool with my, you know, taxes going to somebody who wants their kid to go to a religious school when my own child was not served within the public school system. And I had to fight tooth and nail and, you know, did not get support um, through my tax pay- through my taxes. So mm. just that's just my two cents and wondering how whether that's part of the bill to fix that problem because right now it's broken in Vermont and has been for a long time. Mm. Well, Pam, thanks so much for sharing your family's experience. I'm sorry to hear you've been going through that. Representative Granning, can you address Pam's concerns, particularly for families yeah. with kids of dis- with disabilities? Absolutely. And Pam, I'm so sorry that that's been your experience. Um, what this law does or what this bill does um, is it desig- is it makes it very clear in Vermont law that schools can contract with therapeutic schools um, and the rules around therapeutic schools um, that work with students who are on 504 IEP plans. Um, and so it actually makes it better for those students than it is today. Today it's done in rule, but this would make it a Vermont law. We Pam's call actually reminded me of an email that we received ahead of today's show from Michelle in Hartford, who writes, I was always a staunch believer in the power and necessity of public education. I never imagined the possibility of sending a child of mine to a private institution. That is, not until my eldest child began questioning their gender identity. My child struggled psychologically and socially and ultimately academically in the local public middle school. We made the decision to transition to the Sharon Academy as of this past fall, not from elitism, but in an effort to relieve our child's sense of alienation with clinically recognized anxiety and depression. Um, Representative Granning, we've heard from folks at at a lot of different um, independent schools who are are really concerned about um, their ability, if these bills pass, to continue to send their kids to these independent institutions. Um, does, Does your bill address those concerns in any way? Well, as I've said before, the bill is designed to make sure that taxpayer money is used to fund high-quality, non-discriminatory education for Vermont students. So we're looking at coming up with a system, a better system than we have today, to make sure that students don't experience that discrimination and don't experience um, those types of things. And I know schools across Vermont and across the country are working hard, public schools, to figure out how best to support those students. Um, and Neil, I I know that you um, have worked a lot around the um, anti-discrimination rules that have been implemented um, for private schools seeking state funding. Can you, can you talk a bit about some of those anti-discrimination rules that do exist? Um, you know, well, those certainly exist through um, through statute and also through the rulemaking process. I think the you know, the biggest issue for, for me and I think for taxpayers and just regular school board members is that, um, you know, a lot of those rules don't apply to the private schools. And so one of the things we want to make sure of is that if, you know, if public dollars are going to support a private or a religious school, um, that we think that they need to adhere to the same set of rules and regulations that, uh, you know, that a public school would have to to receive those dollars. Let's go back to the phone lines. We have a call from Kurt in Brattleboro. Kurt? You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Hello, Michaela. Hello, Professor. Hello, Mr. Odell. Hello, Ms. Greening. Um, 
I work with Brattleboro Common Sense in Brattleboro, and I'm wondering um, within the criteria of eligibility, how would a homeschooling parent apply um, for um, tuition reimbursement, uh, considering you know it's uh, twenty thousand dollars or so per person that we're spending uh, in the schools, and also considering that uh, there is a, um, a shortage of um, um, childcare, which uh, such a homeschooling would alleviate. Mm. Representative Granin. Um, yeah, so this bill does not um, talk about homeschooling at all. So the homeschooling standards that are in place now would not be changed. Um, I do want to say that most of our public schools have space, or many, most of our public have space for students. And, um, you know, that's a really important opportunity for students to have all of the supports that a public school does provide to them. Mm. We have a call now from Mary Newman, who is the head of school at Sharon Academy, which has been come up a couple of times already um, during today's show. Mary, thanks for calling in. You're welcome. Um, so could you tell us a bit about how the bills we're discussing today affect your school, could affect your school? Yeah. Um, thank you very much for having me. Um 80%, a little over 80% of the students that attend the Sharon Academy are publicly funded. So those families live in towns with school choice, and those towns are paying TSAs lower than average tuition. And the vast majority of those families would not be able to afford to pay that tuition privately. Almost 40% of our families have been identified as low-income families. So we would lose the majority of our students if um, these bills were to be passed as written and we can't run a school without kids. So as I said um, in the Valley News article, I really do think that we would have no choice but to close under the, these particular circumstances. And Mary, what would you say to folks who think that public dollars should stay in the public school system as much as possible? Um, First of all, I want to say that I do not believe that any public funds should go to any organization that discriminates against any individual for any reason. I think that what really needs to happen is that people need to think really carefully about the needs that are being met by independent schools. While Vermont is a small state and there aren't tons of us independent schools, we, are, we actually span a pretty wide range of schools. And I think it is extremely important to do the research on what each independent school is doing within their community and what the needs are and how those schools are meeting them. Um, because while I think that public education is extremely powerful and needs to be supported, I really do not think that the solution is to eliminate schools that students and families are choosing and, and really benefiting from. Hmm. Well, Mary Newman with the Sharon Academy, thank you so much for, for calling in. I want to give our guests a chance to respond to some of the points you are making. Uh, Neil O'Dell with the Vermont School Board Association, I'd love to go to you first. What what do you think of, of the concerns that Mary's uh, bringing up here today? Yeah, so I would, I mean, we certainly have concerns about the discrimination piece, right? But th that's really only one part of this equation, right? So as a, as a locally elected school board official, right, I need to be 
I'm, I'm held accountable for how I use the public education dollars. I have to do it in a transparent manner. Um, and those are things that just don't apply to the private school system. And so I appreciate, you know, uh, the values of, you know, anti-discrimination and, and not wanting to, um, you know, deny student enrollment based on any of that stuff. There are a whole host of other things that I think the private schools currently don't need to comply with that I do for receipt of the exact same public dollars. And, and Representative Granning, your thoughts there. Um, yeah, so we didn't talk about this earlier, but I do chair my local school board, the Mount Mansfield School Board that um, spans five towns um, in Chittenden County. Um, so I, you know, I echo what Neil said there as well. That's really important. Um, I also want to say that our, you know, this bill um, had a really wide variety, a wide coalition of co-sponsors. Um, there are people from all over the state, we had Democrats, we had progressives, independents, and Republicans all supporting this bill. So I think there is a vast understanding in the state house here that we do need to make a change and we do need to be able to support um, tax, use taxpayer money in a better way mm. um, for educating all of Vermont students. Mm. Well, what you're saying actually reminds me of an email that we received from Cornelia Rath, who's the assistant head of school at the Riverside School in Lindenville, where 60 percent of their K through eight students use public funding. Um, she wrote to us and asks uh, or says it's Vermont's rural areas that most depend on school choice, especially at the elementary level. Is this bill representative of an urban rural divide in Vermont? Its sponsors seem to be mostly from Washington and Chittenden counties. How has the rural caucus responded? Um, Representative Granning, you, you know better than I who the the co-sponsors of these bills are. Um, does it represent an urban-rural divide? It doesn't. And we, again, as I said, across the state understand that the way we're funding schools right now has to change, and we have to do something that's better for everyone, better for students, better for taxpayers. Um, it's complicated, as we said at the very beginning. If this were simple, it would be done. We wouldn't be having deep, complicated conversations that are just really hard. But we do have to make some hard choices here to improve our system. Let's go back to the phones. We have a call from Colin in Dorset, um, who looks like is the head of the Long Trail School there. Colin, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to posit that you might have some concerns about this bill. What are they? We, yeah, thanks. We we, we do. And, and, and I, I think, you know, similar to the Sharon Academy, Long Trail School is a, is a school that would really, really be... Um, decimated by by legislation like this and and just a couple important points that I think are law, are, are are important to bring to light is that you know where we are in rural Vermont um, there is not a public option and so um, you know Burr and Burton is an independent school um, and and Stratton Mountain School is another independent school that serves particularly nine through twelve high school population and long trail and so Burr and Burton has adamantly said they wouldn't accept designation and a school like long trail if we did not receive public funds, it's really important to highlight the kids, the students at the heart of this would really, really be harmed. Um, a, they wouldn't have any place to go, which is a really important thing that we that we, we need to make sure we don't lose sight of. Um, but B, I, I think we all really, really do agree 
that, that the focus here should be on anti-discrimination. Um, we do have rules about anti-discrimination, and we are all for um, fortifying and strengthening those rules. And I think given the, the only thing that has changed is the Carson v. Macon decision, right? And I think our very valid concerns are that students could be discriminated against, and particularly students in the LGBTQ community. Um, and, 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 and I and we and I know independent schools would be, would be strongly supporting just increasing and fortifying those anti-discrimination rules. And, of course, the, the tragic irony would be that if a place like Long Trail, if places like these independent schools didn't exist, we'd be hurting a lot of the kids we actually want to protect um, whether it's in the LGBTQ community, whether it's rural Vermonters, um, students who have access to high-quality education. Um, and so I think that's really important to, to, to go back to that. And, and the words of equity and transparency and accountability do hold true for independent schools. They really, really do, and we're all behind those, and there are rules in place that ensure that and best practices that ensure that as well. Mm. Well, Colin with the Long Trail School in Dorset, thanks for calling in. I'd love to to hear your thoughts on that, Neil O'Dell. Um, what, what do you think of the concerns that Colin's raising there? Um, I, I mean, I think that there are some valid concerns in there, but I mean, listen, Vermont, you know, is at a crossroads right now. And so I think uh, the Supreme Court has given us a very narrow path forward on all of this. And um, you know, we need to determine if we're still going to hold true to our core values in the state of Vermont, um, which is separation of church and state, and also support of a strong public school system. Um, I, you know, I understand the, the concerns about the discrimination piece, but I think one thing to note there, right, is just a recent example. The Agency of Education had proposed bringing forward two religious schools who openly said that they were not going to adhere to the anti-discrimination rules, and the the state was recommending that they both be approved for public dollars. I want to add one more voice into the conversation. Uh, We have a um, call from Mark Tashjian. Mark, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. Uh, He's the headmaster of Burn Burton Academy in Manchester, which is one of the four historic academies in the state that would still be able to receive Mm. these public tuition dollars. Mark, thanks for calling in. It's, It's my pleasure, Michaela. Now, Mark, can you tell us, um, again, where, where does your, your school fall in, in this conversation? And, and what do you think of some of these proposed changes we've been discussing? Good. So I'm, I'm happy to share some perspectives. Um, I will start with that kind of um, the, your announcement about exotic pets <laughs> and tell you that I used to have 15 snakes. Oh, boy. So, um, maybe I'll call in tomorrow. Please to, do. Please do. Um, <laughs> But first of all, you know, what I want to point out is a couple of things. You know, first of all, you know, the the legislation as currently proposed would decimate the education systems, the longstanding education systems in this community and in others. And I don't think we should take that, you know, that step lightly. Um, Regarding core values for this, you know, really for the state and certainly for anyone in any public or independent school, you know, we all hold sacred the notion of doing what's best for kids. And, you know, and, and we all, uh, you know, particularly a school like Brian Burton, hold sacred our commitment to the community. Um, I think it would be helpful to put this issue in some perspective. Burn Burton serves 546 
students in the Taconic and Union School District, which is one of the districts we serve, not the only one. 546 students out of a total of 634 high school students. So on one hand, we're extremely important to all those students and to our community. And on the other, 88 have found other schools to go, go to. And schools that, for a variety of reasons, those families and those kids have determined better serve their needs. That goes away. So there's a tremendously adverse impact of this legislation on kids, on kids who are currently growing up in our community. I'm going to jump in here, Mark, because unfortunately your connection is is a little bit shaky, but I think I get the gist of, of okay. what you were saying right there, um, which is that, you know, while Burn Burton, which is one of the historic academies that um, would still receive public yeah. tuition dollars, um, while it serves a, 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 you know, hundreds of students in your region. There are still around 88 students who are choosing to go to, to different schools, and they, they could be negatively affected by the changes proposed in these bills. So, Representative Granning, I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are there. Yeah, my goal is really to have an incredibly robust, high-quality, equitable, non-discriminatory public education system for Vermont students. I can't say that often enough. I really think that we need to focus on that big picture goal. Um, you know, we need schools that have open enrollment. We need schools that have, that serve all students with disabilities, that follow educational quality standards. We need schools that are very clear and transparent on how they use their public dollars. There are so many things that we need to ensure um, to, for student, to make sure that student outcomes and students are really taken care of well. And these are just some of those things that will do that. Um, I think we need to be really student focused and very carefully understand how taxpayer money is used. Well, we we have a number of phone calls. Let's try to squeeze in a couple more before the end of the hour. Um, let's go next to Liam in Menden. Liam, thanks for your patience on the line. Um, go ahead. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, I just wanted to say that there, there seems to be something missing from this conversation, um, aside from the fact that, I, to my knowledge to date, nobody that's in opposition of this has been um, uh, vocal in the House Committee of on education, but what we're missing is the current outcomes that our public schools are providing in comparison to private. Um, in February, the Vermont Joint Fiscal Office released a 43-page report showing that costs are rising, test scores are falling, violence is on the rise, and quote, teachers are literally scared and administrators are at a loss. And this is true that we've now become the second most expensive state per pupil in the nation. Our costs are 50% greater than the national average. So I think it's important as Vermonters that we ask why some parents are choosing private schools, why the test grades are falling, why we're nearly the most expensive in the country. And I think that we need to put a greater focus on the educational excellence of the institutions. In, I live in uh, Menden. Um, my kids attend the Barstow School District. We're ascending town. And we have 16% of our kids attending a private school um, statistically testing higher at a cost to the taxpayers of 11.9% less than the average public school, school tuition. 
Do we need to focus on making the public schools as good or better than the private schools around them? And parents will gladly choose to send their kids there. Well, thank you for your call, Liam. Um, Neil O'Dell, I know you're you're very focused on making sure Vermont's public schools are the best that they can be. Um, what do you say to, to Liam's concerns? Yeah, I guess uh, two things that I would say to that. One is, is I think all Vermonters need to understand that our current tuitioning system actually serves to drive up the costs of the public education system. So the more students that we tuition out to private schools, it actually has the effect of um, raising the per pupil costs in our public school system and thus raising you know everybody's tax rates. Um, the second thing on you know sort of what Liam addresses the accountability piece, right? So how well are our public school systems doing? Um, in Vermont, they're actually doing quite well, but the the tricky part here, right, is that those private schools aren't required to publicly release their assessment data. So how do we really know how well those students are doing in those private schools? Hmm. Excuse me. Um, well, let's go next to Tom in Royalton. Tom, you're on the air. What's your question? Yeah, thanks. Um, when I was listening to the folks from the private schools who called in, mm-hmm. um, they have a long history of um, not admitting students um, who don't fit whatever criteria. I want to know what, uh, what the, the panelists think of that. Is that a form of discrimination? Mm, well, thanks for your call. We we received a number of emails saying something similar. Uh, Virginia commented actually on Instagram saying private schools discriminate against disabled students, no tax dollars for them. Um, Javier, who grew up in North Idaho and lives in Vermont now, um, identifies as biracial, queer, and disabled. Um, and he is says that he is also concerned about discrimination um, amongst private schools. Uh, Representative Granning, your thoughts? I think um, that those callers are accurate. And I think that the previous caller who was talking about test scores um, didn't take that into account either, that when you get to choose your students, um, your test scores generally reflect that. Um, What we're finding in Vermont is that generally the public schools and the privates have similar test scores. um, And the public schools are required to serve every single student. So I think that our public schools, as Neil said, I, mean, not, I don't think, I know our public schools are doing very, very well, um, you know, among the top in the nation. Um, I think that's something that we need to be proud of and we need to continue to support. Well, let's go lastly to Ed in Arlington. Ed, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, first, I just want to say in regards to I've heard public dollars shouldn't go to private entities. You know, we as a state and as a society accept that all the time. Public Medicaid dollars go to private hospitals, which can deny them, by the way. Public food stamp dollars go to private retailers. We should allow the same flexibility in school choice. Uh, but more to the point, I, I want to ask Mr. Odell a question because I know he testified before the legislature and I read his testimony and he mentioned that Districts that operate a school for all grades have lower per-pupil costs than districts that use independent schools for tuitioning. But I think there's a mistake there because Mr. O'Dell included, for example, Buell's Gore on page three of his testimony, which is a non-operating district, despite it not being a district at all. It is three kids living there and doesn't have a school board or articles of incorporation. And so the cost per pupil for those three kids is 44000 That's clearly an outlier. When you take that out of the analysis, because, again, it's not a school district, the numbers actually suggest 
that districts that tuition their students through independent schools cost taxpayers less. I'm going to jump in here because we're almost to time this hour. Um, Neil, what, what's your response to uh, Ed's concerns? Um, you know, I hear those concerns. I mean, the data that we received for that analysis came straight from the Agency of Education. And so if those you know, numbers aren't accurate, then, then we can address it there. But I still stand by the information that we provided in testimony. And Representative Granning, what is next for this bill that um, that you have sponsored and the companion bill in the Senate? Where do they go next? Well, the uh, House Education Committee is continuing to take testimony on it. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't serve on that committee. I serve in a different committee. So I am watching it as carefully as everybody else is. Um, and I really just want to Thank everybody for the really great questions today and the really thoughtful conversation um, on this very complicated topic. Well, thank you so much for for joining us and to everybody who called and wrote in with your thoughts. Um, And listeners in the future, if you want to comment on a Vermont Edition show, you can do that on our Instagram page. Um, That is at Vermont Public, and we post uh, every day about Vermont Edition shows. You can check it out there again at Vermont Public on Instagram. Representative Edie Granning of Jericho, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And Neil O'Dell, the president of the Vermont School Board Association, thank you as well for your time. Thank you very much.